everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Um, Got a new microphone today, and by a new microphone, I mean the same microphone that we use for Crystal Kyle and Friends, the same microphone that Joe Rogan uses. Now it's the same microphone that David Pakman uses, Sam Cedar uses, Jimmy Dore uses. Apparently this became like the default go-to microphone for everybody who does what we do. And, um, so I got it too. Um, it actually, and, and the thing is, it's actually a really good microphone for me in particular because I have a voice that um, one would call a bright voice. It's got a lot of uh, top end in it. I don't have a very, as far as men go, I don't have a very bassy voice. I got a lot of top end in my voice, so um, I need what's called a dark microphone, and this is a, a much darker microphone than the one I normally use. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that, not going to lie. I was fiddling around with it the other day in preparation for the show today. Um, so I got a new toy, ladies and gentlemen. I got a new toy. Um, I think with the post-processing that's going to be done on this thing, it, it's going to sound, like, phenomenal. So I actually really, really can't wait for some of this stuff to hit YouTube. But anyway, a um, lot of stuff to talk about today. Mitch McConnell might have his knife ready to stab Donald Trump in the back, which... Previously, you may have thought was, like, never, ever going to happen, but, girl, that shit may happen. It actually may happen. So, be excited. I mean, I guess you can kind of be excited about that, Um, but it's still, listen, it's still up in the air. We can't get too far ahead of ourselves here, so reel it in a little bit, son. Reel it in a little bit, dog. So, we'll talk about that. I have some new poll numbers on Trump, and I will take my uh, 
patented annoying Kyle Klinsky victory lap because yet again I was correct about something. Um, we have muddied interests are now abandoning Trump. I'll get to the specifics of that. Ivanka Trump is trying to save her own political career. Mike Pompeo is trying to start war with Iran on the way out the door. I thought we were past this, but apparently we're not. Um, Andrew Yang is getting a bunch of shit over, uh, over honestly, a pretty hilarious issue. Like, he should not be getting shit over this issue. So anyway, we'll talk about that. And um, Biden's, te- Biden's team and their corruption, Rave Dubin somehow made it in the show today. So we got a lot to get to. Sit back, relax, take it easy. Here we go, baby. Surprise, surprise, everybody. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is um, apparently seriously considering turning on President Trump. Now, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here because, listen, we all know the deal. How many times have Republicans flirted with this and then backed away and then flirted with this and then backed away? Um, So, you know, the default position and the default assumption is he ain't doing Dickie McGee's acts until he proves he's going to do something. Um, But I will say this, the chatter is real. And I think that the rumblings behind the scenes, it's real. So take a look at this. Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, has told associates he believes President Trump committed impeachable offenses and that he is pleased that Democrats are moving to impeach him, believing that it will make it easier to purge him from the party, according to people familiar with his thinking. The House is voting Wednesday to formally charge Mr. Trump with inciting violence against the country, the newspaper reported Tuesday, originally reported in the New York Times, by the way. Mr. McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, has indicated he wants to see the specific articles of impeachment that the House is set to approve on Wednesday, which is expected to draw support from as many as a dozen Republicans, potentially including Representative Liz Cheney. By the way, she has since come out in favor of it. Uh, Liz Cheney of Wyoming, the party's number three in the House. But he has made clear in private discussions that he believes now is the moment to move on the weakened lame duck, who he blames for Republicans losing the Senate, the newspaper reported. Okay, so... Now, why is it that this time might be different? Let me give you the reasons why McConnell is probably closer than ever to throwing Trump under the bus. There's four reasons, four reasons why he might do it. Number one, the corporate money that the Republican Party just totally relies on, it's now gone. The corporations are running away at 1,000 miles an hour. There's this giant campaign basically to not fund any of what's called the treason caucus, uh, which is all the Republicans who are you know, questioning the results of the election, even though there's no real evidence, no real proof, no real reason to question it. You know, the, the right had their day in court. Trump had his day in court. He lost. He lost handily. He lost the popular vote by 7 million. When it comes to the Electoral College, Joe Biden has 306 electoral votes. Again, it's not even close. So, Corporations, and in all various industries too, might I add, Wall Street, military, industrial complex, retailers, you name it, you have corporations that are now committing to not fund any Republicans who flirted with this stuff or or were partaking in this stuff. So that alone is huge, and that makes it categorically different than everything else that has happened to this point. To this point, I mean, corporations... Do not abandon the Republican Party, period. That, I, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen that happen. Maybe you have the odd one here or there, but to have basically a run on the entire party like this, unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it, okay? 
So that's the first thing is that the thing that Mitch McConnell cares most about in this world is doing the bidding of corporations. He is a representative of corporate America through and through. That's what he views as his main job. And now corporations are running away from the party at 1,000 miles an hour. So he's panicking, and he wants to bring them back. He cares way more about the corporations than he cares about Trump. He knows that, you know, the Republican Party is a paper tiger. You get rid of the corporate funding, it implodes. The second thing is Trump, for the first time ever, released the hounds on people inside the club. You understand what that means? So previously, Trumpism, to a lot of these Republican politicians, it was viewed as like, it was viewed as a thing that affects the other, a thing that affects the outsiders. But you know what? We're insiders. So Trump is never going to release the hounds on us. And what happened was very clearly incredibly scary for everybody who was there. You know, the more stories are coming out, the more you realize there was a lot of brazen violence going on and people feared for their lives. And so you had Trump release the hounds on people who are nominally his allies on Capitol Hill and Mitch McConnell does not take kindly to the peasants and the riffraff getting, you know, where he's king, causing a ruckus where he's supposed to be the number one guy, the boss, the leader. So before it was all, you know, it was all abstract. Now Trumpism is real and it's angry people who want to do violence to you and they're in the same place as you. So they feel like they've been stabbed in the back by Trump. The third thing is Trump is now a proven loser. So before it was tough to go after him because he had this aura of invincibility that was kind of earned. I mean, coming back in 2016 when everybody wrote his political obituary except maybe like 5% of political pundits, but everybody was like, this guy's done, he's got no chance, it's over, and then he ended up winning. That really broke everybody's brain where the, the assumption became he knows something that we don't. He has some secret sauce that we don't. He's magical in that he always outperforms his polling and he always does better than people think. So they didn't want to poke that tiger because they think, well, he's the head of our party and he won. And so as long as he's given us W's, who are we to really throw him under the bus? Well, now that aura of invincibility is dead and gone. He lost the election to Joe Biden. The Democrats have the House still. And now the Democrats won the Senate. And so McConnell thinks, oh, my God, why would I entertain this maniac anymore? He's a political liability. He's a liability. So you think, I don't have to listen to this guy. Why would I have to listen to this guy? And then the fourth thing is they don't want to have to worry about 2024. So there's a lot of people in the Republican Party, buddy-buddy with, with Mitch McConnell, you know, big in these elite Republican establishment circles, people like Ted Cruz, people like Josh Hawley, many others in the House. They want to run for president, you know, and they want to be the future of the party. And if Trump hangs around, well, then, you know, he can tease a run all the way until 2024. He can run in 2024 which takes away or makes it a lot more difficult for the likes of a Ted Cruz or, or a Hawley or anybody else to become the next president. And honestly, they don't want that. Establishment Republicans don't want that because they hate having to explain away Donald Trump's mean tweets. 
They hate having to explain away his lack of filter, no decorum, no civility. Um, They hate it. Yes, Trump has given them everything in terms of policy, but he's also a massive pain in the ass and a headache, and I have no doubt that Mitch McConnell secretly hates Trump. So those are the four reasons why it might actually be different this time. Now, don't get it twisted, though, because it is possible. No, it's not different. And McConnell's trying to thread a needle now. He's in a difficult place because if he throws Trump under the bus, he's screwed. And if he doesn't throw Trump under the bus, he's screwed. Um, One of the reasons why maybe he wouldn't do it is because you need a lot of Republicans in order to impeach Trump. Are you really going to find the numbers that you need in order to impeach Trump? I don't know, 16 Republicans in the Senate? That's difficult, man. That's really difficult. So what I don't understand is, I don't know why nobody's talking about this 14th Amendment um, Section 3 and Section 5 approach. The, the 14th Amendment approach is really straightforward and would work. And the idea behind that is you basically, with a simple majority in the House and the Senate, you can make it so Trump can never hold elected office again. Why? Because he provided aid and comfort to people who were attempting an insurrection or a rebellion. That's literally exactly what happened. And it's like word for word exactly what's in that 14th Amendment and, and there's a remedy against it. And all you need, it's a regular legislative political process. All you need is a simple majority in the House and a simple majority in the Senate. They could definitely get that. So I don't know why they wouldn't do that, because in, in that case, you would have, um, you know, Mitch McConnell gets what he wants, which is no Trump 2024 nonsense. And he also would allow his caucus to save face a little bit, because they don't want to piss off that 25%, 30% hardcore Trump base. And that's what he's struggling with now. How much can I piss off the base while still getting rid of this massive headache that is Donald Trump? So it, it could be different this time. It really could be. But you never know how it's going to unfold because as a general rule, Republicans usually have each other's back. Elected Republicans usually have each other's back. Um, and Mitch McConnell, for all of his flaws, He's not stupid. So, like, he's trying to find the strategically and tactically correct move to walk that fine line between getting rid of the problem of Donald Trump, um, but also continuing to win elections. But that's the other thing is I think the Republicans are a little bit screwed no matter what here because there's going to be a Republican civil war. And I do think it's largely going to be along class lines. It's going to be the Trumpists versus the establishment types but it's really more along class lines, and you have some Republicans who are now defined by the over-the-top, stop-the-steal conspiracy nonsense things, and you have others who just want to get back to the business of giving rich people all the money. So I think there's going to be, there's going to be a civil war in the Republican Party no matter what, and Mitch McConnell is trying to figure out how to address this where the party gets the corporate money back, and he has the least bad result. But either way, we're all sitting here watching, holding our breath, and um, I guess we'll know very soon exactly what the approach is that they're going to take, but we're in uncharted waters here now, and it's really interesting. Okay. Isn't that interesting, man? Isn't that crazy? I think that's crazy. Mitch McConnell, the turtle might get rid of the Donald. All right, next. Next, 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 next. So 
So the other day, um, I told you guys that I was predicting uh, a Donald Trump implosion in terms of his uh, approval rating, and that's exactly what happened. So according to, look at this, Quinnipiac poll, new Quinnipiac poll, 33%. Morning consult poll, 34%. And um, my buddy here at Bernie would have won on Twitter. You should go follow him. Michael, nice guy. Um, he says, I think this is the lowest I've ever seen his approval rating. This is getting close to George W. Bush levels. So I, I looked it up, and that's actually correct. His lowest approval rating before this was 35%. And I believe the 35% was either Gallup or Pew. I think it was Gallup. But that's the lowest they ever had him. And I forget exactly when it was. Maybe been like 2017 at one point, or it may have actually been after Trump threatened to invoke the Insurrection Act and then tear gas peaceful protesters to do a photo op with a Bible in front of a church. Um, but 35% was his low. Well, now, uh, you know, according to a new Quinnipiac poll and according to a new Morning Consul poll, he's 33% and 34% respectively, which means it's the lowest ever for Donald Trump. I told you guys this was going to happen. Now, why, why, why did this happen? Well, the answer is simple. The last time he had a giant drop in his polling, where Biden ended up taking the lead in the general election race and never looked back and ended up winning, was when Trump threatened to invoke the Insurrection Act. He tear-gassed peaceful protesters, and then he did a photo op with a Bible. And the reason why his numbers plunged now is the same reason why they plunged then, which is Donald Trump is chaotic. Donald Trump brings about mayhem. He feels really, really unstable because he is really, really unstable. And that's basically a quality which is the opposite of what you want in a leader. What you want in a leader, putting aside ideology and policy, which is the most important, don't get it twisted, but putting that aside for a second, in terms of the qualities and the characteristics you want a leader to embody, you want them to feel incredibly stable, you want them to feel strong, you want them to be resolute. Um, you want them to be reassuring. You don't want them to add to the chaos and mayhem of a world that's already far too chaotic and has far too much mayhem. And when Trump threatened to invoke the Insurrection Act, that's him saying, I'm going to deploy the U.S. military against the American people, which is just flat out authoritarian. There's no two ways about it. And, you know, Americans thought that's a bridge too far then tear gassing the peaceful protesters, which is deeply against the First Amendment. These guys pretend to care about free protest and free speech. Then he does the exact opposite of protecting it. He, he cracks down on it. People look at that and they think this is, this is not good. Now, this time, it was perhaps even worse. And in, in terms of the numbers, yes, he's dropped even lower than he did then. Because here you had a situation where you had these unhinged maniac followers of Trump who some of them were looking for violence. Some of them weren't, but some of them were looking for violence. They ended up getting into the Capitol, and instead of outright denouncing it and restoring law and order, Trump fed into the chaos and fed into the mayhem and spoke out of both sides of his mouth during an attempted insurrection, as I call it, the diet coup. It was definitely at least a riot in some respects. Some people are dead now. Some people had weapons. Guns were drawn on Capitol Hill. It was, it was horrendous. It was horrendous, and Trump spoke out of both sides of his mouth and did provide aid and comfort to the people who were doing it. Remember when he called them very special people? Very special people, 
let's protect our boys in blue, but this election's fraudulent, and it's rigged, and it's terrible, and people shouldn't let this stand. Speaking out of both sides of his mouth the entire time. So I do think that Americans saw this, and they felt like this is deeply un-American, because you're basically trying to overthrow the American government. You know, you're basically um, pouring fuel on the fire and making the situation worse and adding to the chaos, adding to the mayhem and doing the opposite of promoting law and order. And the main point is Trump lost the suburbs with threatening the Insurrection Act. And now the suburbs are beyond gone for Trump and the Republican Party at the moment, because that's a, a block of voters. First of all, they, they all vote, right, overwhelmingly in, in incredibly high numbers. But they actually believe in law and order. They believe in law and order. Suburban areas, that's, you know, one of the most important things to them. And then you have this guy who pretends to be all in favor of law and order, and he adds to disorder. And he violates the law, and he violates the Constitution. He thinks it doesn't apply to him. And there are consequences for that. There are consequences for that. So now all that's left for Trump is his base, the most hardcore, ardent supporters. Now, I think there's a chance he drops to 30% or lower. I do. Um, he's already at his lowest ever, but George W. Bush left office. I told you guys this the other day. His approval rating was either 22% or 29%. I know he got in the 20s, and I know Dick Cheney was in the teens. I think there's a chance Trump gets to 30 or lower. But this is already the worst it's ever been for him. He just went too far you know, pissed people off a little bit too much. He was a little too chaotic. And I do think he shot himself in the dick for 2024 chances as well. I really do. I really do. Now it's going to depend on what happens in terms of impeachment and what happens in terms of the 14th Amendment, and they could bar him from ever running for office again. And, but either way, I do think he sort of ruined his 2024 chances with this because it was just too much for everybody. You know, the fever really broke. I told you, we looked at the national numbers the other day. Only 18% of Republicans support what happened on Capitol Hill. There's one poll that has it as high as 45% of Republicans, but I didn't see the wording on that poll yet. And my guess is the wording is not very straightforward. Whereas you look at the wording of the poll that had them at 18%, um, that seemed very straightforward to me. Like, do you support what happened in, on Capitol Hill, you know, yesterday or a few days ago, whenever they did the poll? And they, only 18% supported it. So 8% of national adults... So these are numbers that are abysmal. Even if you take the worst number, which is the 45% of Republicans number, that's less than half of Republicans that supported this. So I just think he went too far. I just think the fever has broken. And um, I, I think, honestly, Americans are breathing a sigh of relief that this guy's on his way out the door. You don't fuck around with, like, the most basic tenets of democracy, you know? Like, you don't I think there are massive consequences if you try to like downplay or overrule or override the peaceful transition of power. And again, I, I have anecdotal evidence to this effect as well, because I have people in my own family who are big Trump supporters who are now done with them. And they're like, I got it, dude. You think you were cheated. You weren't cheated. It's over. Move along, son. Hold the L. If he's losing people who were formerly massive supporters, it is different. It's categorically different this time around compared to how it was. So... Anyway, there you have it. Um, Trump's approval rating, 33%, 34% respectively. Let's see how low he can go.
All right, next. Time to change the colors behind me. Time to change the colors behind me. This clip is one of my all-time favorites. It's short, but you're going to like it. It's a guy with a fake name. His name is Hogan Gidley. (laughs) He's going to proceed to blow Trump in the sloppiest way imaginable, and it gets uncomfortable as hell. It's a social media crackdown. Does he feel emasculated, especially as he heads out of office? Look, I I wouldn't say emasculated. I mean, the most masculine person I think to ever hold the White House is the President of the United States. The most masculine person to ever hold the office of the United States of America. You think Donald Trump is the most masculine president of all time? actually at a loss for words. I don't know what to say in response to that. I don't know what to say in response to that. The dude is... the definition of deeply insecure and narcissistic. Joe Rogan made this point where he said just how much he, like, micromanages his own appearance is not masculine. How, like, he's so committed to the comb-over that, like, I wonder how long it takes every single morning for him to get that meerkat on his head just right. I do wonder how long that takes. It's got to be at least 30 minutes, right? I'm being kind by saying 30 minutes. Probably like an hour to get that thing on properly. Now, I'm I'm not knocking him, by the way. Like, I've actually given him credit for being so committed to it but, like, let, don't pretend like he's the epitome of masculinity. He's the most masculine president of all time. Are you kidding me? The best example of Trump being the opposite is I remember during the primary in 2015-2016, um, a debate was coming up, and Megyn Kelly was going to host, was going to be one of the hosts of the debate. And Trump threw a tantrum on Twitter and basically said, she's unfair, she has unfair questions, she's too tough, I don't like it, I'm not going. And so he boycotted a debate because he was scared of tough questions that he viewed as unfair. Of course, they're not unfair, but he called them unfair. So he boycotted a debate because he was scared of the moderator. And I'll never forget it, because this showed me how we are living in two different realities. All of his supporters thought that was the most macho thing of all time. And they were acting, they were saying that, and they weren't embarrassed to say that. And of course, my interpretation of it was, it's the exact opposite. That's the least masculine thing of all time. You're so afraid of the questions that you run away and don't show up. No, the macho thing to do, the masculine, manly thing to do, to the extent we even accept these labels, right? There's a debate whether or not that even, these labels even make sense. But the thing you do is you show up and you handle the questions directly. You give straightforward answers. You say, I got nothing to hide. I'll answer whatever bullshit you throw my way, and I'll even tell you that it's bullshit to your face. That's masculine. 
Of course he didn't do that. He ran away. And then he did some bogus, if I remember correctly, he did like some, some fake fundraiser for veterans where he didn't give them the money. And then the media had to pressure him to then eventually give them the money. It was, it was a giant mess. I'm sure some of you remember this, but the most masculine president of all, the most masculine president of all time, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I mean, I, again, it depends how you interpret the labels and how you define the labels, but off the top of my head, I could think of so many, pres- so many more presidents who were way more masculine. Lyndon Johnson. I mean, that dude, like, dripping testosterone from his eyeballs. That's a scary dude. That's a scary dude. It's not like he's just, just the positive traits of masculinity were Lyndon Johnson. There was also some of the negative and, and terrifying ones there as well. I mean, FDR. The guy saved the world from his wheelchair and took on Wall Street. Trump cucks himself to Wall Street 24-7. You know, JFK, I, I don't know if you want to, you know, define this as masculine or label this as masculine, but the guy was having sex with like 78% of the women on the planet, including with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> so <laughs> Trump has to beg Melania to hold his hand. Most masculine president of all time. What are you doing, man? And why is your name Hogan Gidley? I don't, and there's another one. I, again, I don't. These are like fake people that are, you know, just made in the simulation. But you got Hogan Gidley. Then I think there's another one by the name of Rogan O'Handley. Hogan Gidley and Rogan O'Handley? I don't... Bro, what? (laughs) How are these real names? How are you real people? I don't understand. The most masculine president of all. Like, on that alone, I don't trust your judgment on anything. I wouldn't ask you, like, what's a good restaurant, to the extent restaurants still even exist with COVID, because now they're all out of business. But I wouldn't ask you what color the sky is. I simply do not trust your judgment. I simply think you're incredibly stupid. Donald Trump, the most masculine president of all time. Oh, please. He's he's regularly not the most masculine person in the room. (laughs) If he's with one person or two other people or three other people, if he's with two or three other people and it's women in the room with him. Oh, God. These people are so silly. Okay. Now I'm going to show you how serious it's getting for Donnie. The moneyed interest are now abandoning Trump. German-based Deutsche Bank will halt all business with President Trump, his family, and his personal businesses, Bloomberg reported. Two officials at the bank who remained anonymous told the news outlet that the bank will not conduct further business with the president other than overseeing the repayment of existing loans totaling more than $300 million. The news outlet also reported that New York-based Signature Bank, which on Monday publicly called for Trump's resignation, also said it would refuse Trump's business, and that any member of Congress who supported objections to the Electoral College result certification last week, a process marred by a violent riot made up of pro-Trump supporters who overtook the Capitol. We have never before commented on any political matter, and I hope to never do it again. Do so again, added a Signature Bank spokesperson to Bloomberg. It was previously reported in November that Deutsche Bank was seeking to offload Trump's three loans roughly Trump's three loans totaling roughly $300 million 
to another lender due to negative media uh, attention surrounding the president and his financial dealings, attention that is only likely to grow as the president leaves office and faces close scrutiny of his finances from New York's attorney general. There's another story that came out this week about how Trump has been seriously inquiring behind the scenes about pardoning himself, whether or not he has the ability to pardon himself and whether or not he should pardon himself and how he would go about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Another interesting fact is if, if you're not sure if polite society has abandoned Donald Trump yet, this fact is something. The PGA of America, Professional Golfers Association, they had a deal with Trump where in 2022 they would host the PGA Championship there, which is one of the major golf events. They backed out of that. They backed out of it. I think it was like a day after the you know, attempted insurrection um, on Capitol Hill. They backed out of that. So you lost the PGA. You're inquiring about a self-pardon. And now the money people have turned on you. But beyond that, and this is maybe even the most important fact, the corporations have turned on the Republican Party. And you and I both know the Republican Party is nothing without the corporate money propping it up. So Mitch McConnell is desperately trying to figure out how do I get that corporate money back? How do I get our donors back? And so if that means throwing Trump under the bus, he might throw Trump under the bus. Now, this is actually devastating for Trump because a lot of people don't know this, but his entire empire is built on colossal, gargantuan amounts of debt. And he's a terrible businessman. He's always been a terrible businessman. Every time he gets in the hole, he has to go begging to moneyed interests, to banks, to prop him up. And, you know, his argument effectively is, you're in too deep with me. You're in too deep with me. There's no turning back now. You know, if you pull the rug out from underneath me, you're pulling the rug out from underneath yourself. And you want to avoid taking that hit, and you want to avoid the negative press. So you've got to keep propping me up. Guys, $300 million in debt. $300 million? I mean, I don't know. If he liquidated all of his assets, would he get to $300 million? I don't know. It's possible that no matter what, even if he liquidated all of his assets, he couldn't reach that $300 million number. And this is on top of, remember, um, the IRS is looking at him too, and there are serious questions about how he's handled his taxes over the years. There's a New York Times report that came out a few years ago showing how his dad used all these tricks to funnel more money to Trump and his kids, his dad's kids, so Trump and his you know, brothers and sisters or whatever, um, and a lot of it was legal, maybe some of it illegal, but at obviously very clearly unethical and exploiting loopholes and maybe creating new loopholes. Well, he's been using a lot of these same tricks. Like, for example, the report that came out recently, which showed that Trump was um, writing off hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, and it w he was just giving it to Ivanka for her consulting firm, which, again, is tax fraud. The other thing he does is... Um, he overvalues his property in certain contexts, but then when it comes to paying taxes to the IRS, he massively undervalues uh, his property so that he lowers the tax bill. He's done all these sketchy things that might be illegal um, or could be legal but unethical, just exploiting the loopholes. And it looks like that's all catching up to him because he's in serious trouble. If, if Deutsche Bank pulls the rug out from underneath him, where's he going to get financing from? Where's he going to get financing from? And they just want him to pay back the $300 million. I don't, I don't think he has that. And remember, 
If you think, well, this is speculation that he's not a good businessman. No, he went, his businesses went bankrupt, what is it, at least six or seven times, something to that effect. He's genuinely not a good businessman. And also, he inherited $400 million from his daddy. You, if I give you $400 million, I guarantee you, you're going to do a hell of a lot better with that money than Donald Trump has done with that money. The only thing he did that was actually profitable was when he was on The Apprentice. Like that and just licensing his name out for others to put Trump on their buildings. Those are the things he did that were profitable. Outside of that, everything was a colossal failure. You know, and you go down the list. There was Trump the board game, Trump stakes. He tried Trump everything, and it failed. One failure after another, after another, after another. And again, as soon as the money people abandon you, he's got nothing left. He's got nothing left, and now the money people are abandoning him. And they could pull the rug out from underneath him. Again, I think the thing he's most concerned about is something he can't do anything about, which is the investigations into his businesses from um, the New York Attorney General. Because he has the ability, or at least a potential Republican president would have the ability to pardon him from federal crimes, but there's no pardoning for state crimes. And so if he gets caught in tax fraud or insurance fraud or whatever it may be from New York State, he's sort of screwed. And it looks like it looks like it's categorically different now than it's ever been previously, especially because the money people are abandoning him. So, and apparently he was more concerned behind the scenes about the PGA abandoning him than about being impeached a second time. That bothered him more because he doesn't want polite society to turn on him. It's funny because an argument I've made for a long time is I think that Donald Trump in his heart of hearts wants to be like Hillary Clinton. And the reason he wants to be like Hillary Clinton is because Hillary is beloved by the establishment and the elites, tail parties in New York and D.C., all the moneyed interests, all the you know, corporate CEOs. Hillary is beloved by those people. Trump wants their approval because he wants to be an elite, but he actually can't get their approval. So instead, he's this faux populist who goes around pretending like he's fighting for the little guy, even though he doesn't. He does the bidding of the establishment and the corporations and the elites, but they still hate him and they hate him all for, you know, for characteristic reasons, for quality of character reasons, for the fact he has no civility and no decorum and no filter and he's an asshole. And that, I think that drives him crazy. I do. I think that absolutely drives him crazy. So this is wild, man. With the moneyed interest turning on Trump, he really is in serious trouble. He's also in serious trouble because now he's a loser, proven loser, lost the White House, Democrats hold the, the House, and now the Senate too, and corporate America is fleeing from the Republican Party, and they will do anything to keep corporate America there. And that includes amputating Donald Trump. So we'll see what happens, but Deutsche Bank turning on Trump is a big, big deal. Okay. Okay, baby. Yeah. All right, let me go. I'm going to go to Mike Pompeo because this is uh, this is the worst. And it should scare you as to what's going to happen on their way out the door. All right, everybody get ready and buckle up because Mike Pompeo gave a speech this week that honestly should terrify you because it's a sign from the Trump administration as to what 
they're going to do next, or at least what they're heavily, heavily considering. Al-Qaeda has a new home base. It is the Islamic Republic of Iran. As a result, bin Laden's wicked creation is poised to gain strength and capabilities. We ignore this Iran-Al-Qaeda nexus at our own peril. We need to acknowledge it. We must confront it. Indeed, we must defeat it. Now, I know this news will come as a surprise to many Americans. We had Al-Qaeda on the ropes after 9-11, thanks to sustained efforts of our brave soldiers, intelligence officers, diplomats, NATO allies, many others who worked tirelessly to defend freedom. There are far fewer Al-Qaeda operatives in Afghanistan today than there have been in decades. That remains true. This is an enormous tribute to American resolve, American ingenuity, American leadership, and frankly, raw American military strength. That effort drove Al-Qaeda to search for a safer haven, and they found one. The Islamic Republic of Iran was the perfect choice. Al-Qaeda has, in fact, carried on a relationship to Iran for nearly three decades. Unmitigated, brazen, grotesque, over-the-top lie. He's a liar. He's lying to you, and he knows he's lying to you. This is the exact same playbook that the government used with Iraq. What was the original argument? What was the original argument before the Iraq War? Oh, Saddam Hussein is working with al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, and he's giving them cover, and he's uh, taking care of them, and they have an alliance, and they have an allegiance, and that's why we need to go after Saddam, because he's at least partly responsible for 9-11. That was never true. That was wrong from the, from the very first claim at the very first second. But they ran with that, and the media didn't push back. And they, they kept building on the propaganda. And then eventually it became too obvious that it was fake, and so they had to change the argument. And it went from, oh, Saddam is working with al-Qaeda, to uh, Saddam has weapons of mass destruction and he might use them on us, to eventually it was just... Saddam's a bad guy and a dictator, and if you don't want to do the Iraq war, you're pro-dictator. They, they had to keep moving the goalposts because they're fucking liars, and they kept being exposed as liars. Um, not by the media, by the way. The media was doing their propaganda every step of the way. But this is the exact same playbook for Iran. Guys, anybody who knows anything about the Middle East, even the tiniest bit about the Middle East, will tell you what. Al-Qaeda is fundamentalist Sunni. They're Salafists or Wahhabists. Iran is a, is a Shia theocracy. Not only are they not allies, they are mortal enemies. You have a, a Shia theocracy and, you know, a Sunni fundamentalism. Iran is literally ahead of the United States in terms of um, who al-Qaeda wants to wipe out. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That like there's deep, deep among Sunni fundamentalists, anti-Shia sentiment is perhaps even more than anti-American sentiment. Do you not understand that? I know a lot of you guys understand that. Anybody who knows anything about the Middle East understands that. But 
they're really trying to build the case that no, they're actually allies. And they've been for decades. He said they've been for decades. I, I'm just stunned at the, the nature of the lies that they try to get away with. By the way, there was an admission in that speech where he said, there's far fewer al-Qaeda in Afghanistan now. So why are we there? He just casually admitted, like, yeah, so, you know, al-Qaeda has basically been defeated in Afghanistan. So why are we there? Why are we there? Why are we there? Because the original reason for going into Afghanistan was what? We got to go to Osama bin Laden. He's been dead for so long. Why are we there? Well, you know, you got to make sure you get, um, it's not just Osama bin Laden that's the problem. You got to get al-Qaeda. You just admitted that there's very few al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. Why are we there? Uh, the Taliban. Okay, but the Taliban is a guerrilla army. They're not just a terrorist organization. That's where they are. You, what, are you going to defeat all of them? That's not even possible. So why are we there? Listen, then you get into the, the serious conversation, the real conversation, that a lot of this stuff has to do with the military-industrial complex and, you know, warfare is welfare in some respects. It's intricately tied to our economy. There's jobs tied to the military-industrial complex in 50 out of 50 states. There's tremendous amounts of mineral wealth, trillions of dollars of mineral wealth in Afghanistan. Opium, of course, in the case of Iraq, you have um, oil as well. Uh, production shot through the roof after the U.S. invasion and during the occupation. I mean, the list goes on and on. There are financial reasons. There are geopolitical chessboard reasons. Um, and it, this stuff is ugly, but it's real and it's true. And again, military industrial complex alone, as Medley Butler said, it wars a racket. This is, this is a lot of the considerations. Now, I'm not saying that the justifications aren't somewhat believed, because they are. Some people that are part of this machine believe the rationalizations and the lies and the justifications, but they're just that. They're rationalizations and they're lies. So he's admitting there's far few al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, but he's not following that up with, and we're going to totally get out because why the hell would we be there if there's few al-Qaeda there? He doesn't say that. And also the deep, deep, deep irony, deep irony of he's saying Iran is working with al-Qaeda. This is at the same time that the U.S. government has been giving arms and money to jihadist elements on the ground fighting the civil war in Syria. That's not my opinion. We have General Petraeus on the record saying, let's arm al-Qaeda because they might fight ISIS. And of course, they also wanted uh, th them to fight Bashar al-Assad. That's not me saying it. The freaking Daily Beast mainstream publications reported that General Petraeus and elements of the U U.S. intelligence and the U.S. deep state and the Pentagon, they were saying, let's arm al-Qaeda because they could be our ally. Hmm. What does that sound like? That sounds exactly like the 1980s with Ronald Reagan when they were fighting the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. Let's arm the Mujahideen. And then eventually the Mujahideen broke up, became the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, and we had armed our enemies. We had provided material support to our enemies, the people who went on to attack us. So it, it, talking about the alliance between Iran and Al-Qaeda, which doesn't exist, meanwhile, the U.S. has aligned ourselves with jihadist elements, not only in Syria, but we give multi-billion dollar weapons deals to... Mohammed bin Salman and Saudi Arabia, as they're carrying out a genocide in Yemen. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think is on the ground fighting the Houthis in Yemen? The Shia Houthis. Who's fighting the Shia Houthis? Sunni militias. Who are the Sunni militias? Hmm. Let's think about that one. Al-Qaeda. So we're providing arms and money and support to 
al-Qaeda on the ground in Yemen, on the ground in Syria, as he pretends like there's an alliance with Iran and al-Qaeda, when Iran's been fighting al-Qaeda. The guy who they just assassinated, General Soleimani, he was one of the top anti-jihadist fighting forces on the ground. And we murdered him. We assassinated him. The U.S. government did that. The lies are so over the top, man. It's disgusting. But what the hell are they planning? Why is he giving this speech? He met with the head of Mossad recently. Why'd you meet with the head of Mossad? Are they really trying to plan an attack right before they leave office? They've got like nine days left. Are you really building up the case for an attack now? What are you doing? Or are you setting a table for Biden to then grab the football and he does the attack? What are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. But either way, it's scaring me. Because it leads me to believe the propaganda, they're really pouring it on heavy now, trying to say Iran works with al-Qaeda to get everybody riled up. Seems like they're planning an attack before they leave office. For the love of God, I hope that's not the case. Oh my God, that's the last thing I want. Because yet it, it would become, it would be worse than Iraq. It would be an even worse situation than Iraq. This is unacceptable, man. The neocons are a danger to the planet. They really are. And who knows what the hell Trump is thinking now that he's been slighted in 47 different ways because he screwed over the Republican Party and now it looks like Republican leadership like McConnell turning on him. So he feels isolated, was kicked off Twitter. Who knows what's going on in that peanut brain behind the scenes? He might push the button just to cause chaos at this point. And it's on record that he wants to leave Biden with a mess. There's no better way to leave Biden with a mess than to start a war on your way out the door that he's then got to deal with. Oh, my God. Guys. This should absolutely terrify you. This should terrify you. This should scare you. It really should. (sighs) Mike Pompeo lying about Al-Qaeda and Iran and them working together. Where's the media on this? I'm an idiot, loudmouth YouTube host, okay? I'm not special. I'm a dude with a mic on YouTube. Why am I the only one that's talking about this? Like, I saw this was covered by, like, NBC and other outlets, and they just tweeted the, the video of the speech from Mike Pompeo. No context, no explanation, no breaking it down, no dissecting it and saying, this is not true. They just showed his speech. It was like, what do you, yeah, Secretary of State is just talking. What's the big deal? The, he's lying to the American people in the same way that we were lying to the Iraq war. Don't you want to point that out? Don't you want... And by the way, with all the social media purges, and banning people. Um, If you're going to start banning people for lying or advocating violence, saying Iran and al-Qaeda are working together and building up the propaganda to do war against them, that seems like a worse lie than anything I've ever heard anybody ever say. By the way, they're full of shit, and they're wrong about everything, right? The election was not stolen. It's not fraudulent. But as bad as that is, This is way worse. Trying to get the United States of America into another war with Iran, building up the propaganda, and there's no fact check. Forget not pulling it down. There's no fact checking. There's no nothing. And just so everybody understands, I'm not actually saying pull it down. I'm in favor of free speech, but that actually, I'm objective on that point and I'm principled. Only direct threats of violence should be allowed. But like, isn't it interesting how the U.S. government can get away with whatever the hell they want to get away with when it comes to imperialism? When it comes to the empire, they get away with whatever the hell they want to get away with. They can say whatever the hell they want to say. doesn't matter how big, brazen, bold of a lie it is. They can say it. So there is no real, like, objective ministry of truth that determines what's acceptable and what's not acceptable on social media. 
and people are pretending like that's a thing or like that can exist. It's just stupid. But where is the media to fact check this? Instead of fact checking it, they're going to do their bidding and they're going to help build up to war. And it's terrible. And again, you guys have to go to freaking YouTube shows to hear people like me talk about this. And that's a shame. You shouldn't have to turn to people like me to talk about this. This should be debunked by every major media outlet, but they're not going to do it. And it's dangerous. Okay. All right. Let me take a break, y'all. When we come back, Facebook took a new unprecedented step that we will talk about when it comes to propaganda. Stay right there.
All right, bitch, we back. We are back. We are back. Um. <clears throat> oh, for, yeah, before, before I get to Facebook, let me talk a little bit about Ivanka Trump. Oh, Ivanka, what are we going to do with her? What are we going to do with Ivanka? So I found this story interesting for a number of reasons. This is in the Daily Mail. Um, Admittedly, I'm not sure this is the best source, but I think it's worthy of comment nonetheless. Exclusive, Ivanka has bust up, has bust up with her dad over her plan to go to Biden's inauguration. So she, so she would, quote, come across as a good sport and save her political career, which Donald said was the worst decision she could make. Ivanka Trump had plans to go against her father's wishes and attend Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th, the DailyMail.com can reveal. She worried that her promising political career is in jeopardy and is doing whatever she can to save her reputation, a White House insider says. President Trump was up in arms about Ivanka's decision, calling it the worst decision she could ever make. Ivanka is convinced that by attending Biden's inauguration, she will come across as a good sport and will gain future supporters, the source says. Donald Trump made it clear he wouldn't be attending Joe Biden's inauguration in a tweet, uh, in a tweet last week before his social media accounts were suspended. The White House is being dubbed a circus on steroids with Trump's kids desperately vying for control, the insider added. I, I mean, this is just too perfect. This is just too perfect. I also enjoy how... Everybody sort of agrees. I feel like the majority position in America is we hate political dynasties. You know, you talk to anybody and they're like, forget the Clintons, forget the Bushes. um, And now, you know, the Trumps are trying to become a thing. And it's just so funny how they, they used the rhetoric of being outsiders. And now they're so happy to be insiders and she wants to hold on to that however the hell she can by any means necessary. And um, this is exactly what I would expect from her and exactly what I would expect from Trump. Trump feels betrayed by her for doing this because she feels like this is um, not a, he feels like it's not a sign of solidarity with him. And he's incredibly selfish, of course. And she feels like, Dad, come on, you're really old. At some point you're going to die, and I want to have a political future too. And it's just so gross. I hate it when you can sense the careerism, the ladder climbing, the total lack of any moral convictions or principles or even policy preferences. And that's exactly what we see here. It's a very, like, Mayor Pete type story, how with Mayor Pete you could see it from a mile away, how it's just raw ambition. He will slit anybody's throat who he has to to get to where he wants to go. And this is, you're kind of seeing that from Ivanka here, too. I mean, Trump is a little bitch, and, you know, he, I really do think it's so beta that he doesn't want to show up to the um, inauguration. But what Ivanka's doing here is just raw political calculation, and I, I expect a lot more of this, like, House of Cards-style politics from all the Trumps. And I'm interested to see what the hell is going to happen when you have multiple Trump kids who all want to be president.
president. Are you going to have a primary at some point with, like, Ivanka and Eric and Don Jr.? I mean, it's certainly in the realm of possibility that you get at least two of them running. But I think they all have political ambitions. And I think they all look up to their dumbass dad. But it's, it's all so gross. I want to shower after reading this story. It's interesting, but it's also really gross because you could smell like the desperation on all of them and how none of them, none of them make decisions just from, or like what they really know in their bones is correct. It's all like, again, ladder climbing, Machiavellian garbage. So it's funny too how Trump, like he would rather tank his kids to save his own ego. You know what I mean? Like even if it was, adequately explain to Don that, hey, man, this actually will help your daughter's future political prospects. He'd be like, I don't care. She must stand in solidarity with me with everything that's gone on recently. She must be with me, even if that means she has no future. And that's just too perfect for him. But, oh, man, yet again, I want to take a shower when I see what's going on behind the scenes in Washington, D.C., especially with dynasty families. Okay, next. All right, time to piss everybody off with my take on this. Facebook took a new and unprecedented step. This is from Reuters. Facebook, Inc. said on Monday it was treating the next two weeks as a major civic event and would remove certain content containing the phrase, stop the steal from its social media platforms. Quote, with continued attempts to organize events against the outcome of the U.S. presidential election, that that can lead to violence and use of the term by those involved in Wednesday's violence in D.C., we're taking this additional step in the lead up to the inauguration, the company said in a blog post. A Facebook spokeswoman clarified the company would allow posts that clearly share the stop the steal phrase to either condemn or to discuss neutrally. In November, Facebook removed the stop the steal group in which supporters of U.S. President Donald Trump posted violent rhetoric and false claims of election fraud. So I I don't. I don't know if they've ever gone this far before, which is to say, if anybody uses the phrase stop the steal in a supportive sense, that's being taken down. I don't know if they've ever gone this far before. Um, And, you know, I, I don't know how anybody could read this story and not take away that not only is there a slippery slope, but we're already halfway down the slippery slope. So you... You can't, in my opinion, look at somebody, say something, and then say, hey, maybe, maybe not, there could be negative consequences associated with this, and that's enough for me to pull it down. Because let's be honest, as much as we hate, it's all bullshit, stop the steal, fraudulent election, rigged election, all those claims, total bullshit. But what actual percentage of people who are saying that stuff end up committing violence? What's the actual percentage of people that committed violence who said those things? I'm willing to bet it's 99.99% of the people 
who have talked about fraudulent election, rigged election, whether they believe it or not, a lot of these people believe it and are brainwashed. Some people are nefarious liars. But it's only a very, 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 very tiny percentage of people that actually have committed crimes in the name of this stuff. Okay? So I don't think that's enough to merit pulling it down. And if you're going to go down this road, and the argument is, hey, well, it's not true. I agree it's not true. But are you going to go after every single time somebody brings up the JFK conspiracy, which versions of it are not true. Maybe a version of it is true. I don't know. But are you going to pull down the JFK conspiracy stuff? Are you going to pull down the 9-11 conspiracy stuff? You know, are you going to pull down Russiagate stuff? Russiagate has been proven false. You know, there were people inside Trump's administration who went down, but they went down on crimes unrelated to Russia. It was corruption stuff. And they are corrupt. He's not a Manchurian candidate that's been under Vladimir Putin's thumb since 1987, as some idiots in the media claim. Are you going to pull down that stuff? Are you going to pull down, we just covered the story, Mike Pompeo is lying to the American people and saying that Iran and Al-Qaeda are working together, and he's doing this to build up the propaganda to go to war with Iran. Are you going to pull that down? Are you going to pull down Mike Pompeo's page or anything that tries to link Iran and Al-Qaeda? Because not only is that not true, but that has potentially worse consequences than the Stop the Steal stuff. So you can't, my point is, guys, you can't micromanage language and speech. And you especially can't do it layers removed. Like, yes, if somebody does a direct threat of violence, that not only is that against terms of service, that's against the law. You're not, even with a total free speech absolutism, you're not allowed to do a direct threat of violence. And that makes sense. But what we're talking about here is not pulling down direct threats of violence. We're talking about people who talk about a conspiracy that's wrong. And if you talk about it in a positive way, it's going to get banned. I'm sorry, this, is, this goes way too far. It goes way too far. And what you're, what you're going to find is they're not going to go after the liberal, corporate, democratic, sacred positions and conspiracies as much as they'll go after the conservative ones. Because listen, that's the people who run these big social media companies, generally speaking, they're fans of the corporate Democrats. They're elites. They're fans of the corporate Democrats. So whatever their conspiracies are, like Russiagate, get a full pass. They're only going after like the Trump-related conspiracies. And I think that that's if you're going to start pulling stuff down, you at least have to do it with some sort of objective standard in mind. And the objective standard, at least that we're dealing with here, would have to be no conspiracy stuff that potentially could lead to harm. Potentially, again, potentially, which means like almost any conspiracy can be pulled down with that logic because there's somebody who's crazy enough out there to take some sort of conspiracy and be violent over it. Even if it's 99.99999% of people who believe in a conspiracy don't act on it, so is that your standard? Because this is the standard you set up. The standard is no conspiracy stuff where there might be some negative consequences associated with it. Okay, but then you have to be objective with that. You have to pull down the JFK stuff, the 9-11 conspiracy stuff, um, the Russiagate stuff, the, the U.S. government dictated ones. That's the other thing is like giant glaring exception for all state propaganda and state violence. I mean, listen, we all know if Facebook was around or if the social media Alice Twitter was around during the lead up to the Iraq war, they either 
would not have gone after the propagandists pushing us to war, or they would have pulled down the people arguing against it. You know, the people today who were smeared are people who questioned the Syria gas attack, and the whistleblowers proved that those people were correct, the people who were questioning the, Syria gas, the Syrian gas attack. So I have no doubt that if, if these social media outlets were around back then, in the lead-up to the Iraq war, they either would have not taken down the stuff that's propaganda lying us into war, or they would have taken down the people questioning the propaganda and said, that's fake news. Bottom line is, guys, you should not, there should be no ministry of truth. There should be no ministry of truth. Because then, it's the age-old philosophical question, who watches the watchmen? So you, you give this group of people veto power over the national discourse, how the hell do you know that they're going to be right about everything? And how the hell do you know that they're always going to line up with your own sensibilities? You know, it's just, it's so short-sighted. And the bottom line is, you cannot and should not have Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires get veto power over the discourse. Um, that's not to say everything's hunky-dory if you don't have that. Of course there's going to be problems. Of course it's going to be messy. Of course there's going to be some instances of violence. But from my perspective, it's the least bad option of all bad options, because at least with that approach, you have a free system. And the same system that allows a crazy right-winger to talk about stop the steal and fraudulent election is the same system that would allow people like me to question the liars who got us into war, to call them out directly, to debunk the propaganda. Basically, my point is it's a package deal. It's a package deal. If people on the left, if Marxists, if socialists, if you want free speech, it's a package deal. That includes idiots and conspiracy theorists on the right having it. Again, direct threats of violence, there can be action taken against that. But what they're doing here is not just going after direct threats of violence. They're not. They're going after an entire genre of conspiracy theory. And I don't agree with that. I think that goes way too far, way too far. Um, if people are specifically breaking laws, go after them. Go after them. If somebody's directly threatening violence, go after it. But they're saying all stop the steal stuff. That's where somebody agrees with stop the steal. Sorry, you're allowed to be wrong. You're allowed to be wrong. You know, I think everybody who voted for Donald Trump was wrong. Do I want to ban tens of millions of people? No, that's ridiculous. I think they're all wrong, demonstrably wrong, and they have harmful beliefs. I still wouldn't ban them, you know? Shit, I mean, I think everybody, every single person who voted for any other candidate other than Bernie in the primary, I think they're wrong. Would I ban everybody who didn't agree with me on that? No. It's like, I get it. When you bring up the First Amendment in the context of issues like this, people kind of scoff at it and mock it and act like this is not a First Amendment issue. Technically, they're correct about the legality of it. There's nothing, this, doesn't, this is not a legal issue involving the First Amendment, of course. But it absolutely is a debate about the principle of freedom of speech and free expression. It's not about the First Amendment in terms of the legality of it. It most certainly is about the First Amendment in terms of the spirit of it and the principle of free speech and free expression. And I don't think that free speech stops at the borderline of the Internet. In fact, I think the Internet is the new public square. I think the new social media outlets are the new public square. 
you know? And it's very strange to see people who are on the left make the libertarian argument, the capitalist argument, the argument of private company, they can do whatever the hell they want. Really? Is that, is that it? Are they just private companies? Is Facebook and Twitter, are these just private companies? There are a lot more than just private companies at this point. There are a lot more than that. When you have world politics conducted on there, when it is the public square for people to have a voice, that's more than just a private company. And it certainly should be treated legally like more than just a private company. It should be regulated like a public utility. That's the left-wing position. The left-wing position is regulate these like public utilities. Don't treat them just like private companies. Don't give Jack and Mark Zuckerberg and Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires the ability to do whatever the hell they want because it's their company. That's a very right-wing libertarian capitalist argument. That is not my position. So I don't want people on the left to make that argument, but unfortunately many people are. Um, even if you cheer this on, there's going to come a day where you're not cheering on what they're doing. Because we've already given examples of the opposite. Reddit banning Chapo Trap House, for example. Go talk to Rania Kalik, Abby Martin, Max Blumenthal, Ben Norton, The Gray Zone. There's a number of left-wing outlets that are just correct about stuff that have been censored or deplatformed. Um, and it ain't going to stop. Because that's the other thing that happens is once they start banning the right-wing stuff and the right-wingers scream bloody murder and say, you've got to go after, why are you not going after the left too? Because they're idiots and they don't know how to say like, no, in principle, this is wrong. Don't ban anybody. So they say, well, the left-wingers get away with stuff. And then they go after, you know, like the Red Scare podcast was just banned on Twitter. They go after like, leftists have no power. The liberals have power. The corporate Democrats have power. So leftists are, are next on the chopping block, guaranteed. So again, be careful what you wish for. Okay. Okay, we're going to talk about Andrew Yang in just a second. Talk about Andrew Yang. Let's talk about Andrew Yang. Going to defend our boy Andrew. That's what we're going to do. So this next story is incredible for a number of reasons. It's from the New York Post. Andrew Yang's anti-circumcision stance cuts deep Jewish leaders. Phenomenal pun phenomenal pun. I'm going to give you that that pun was something else. Okay. That was solid. Um, but you read the article and the article, you know, in a pretty straightforward way says Andrew Yang has a, an anti-circumcision stance. He's actually, it's actually not as hard line as they're making it sound. He still believes in the freedom for, you know, people to choose what to do. But he says, I, I make, I actively make the argument against circumcision. He says originally he wanted to circumcise his kids and then I believe his wife um, showed him the other side of the argument and made the case, and he was convinced by the arguments from his wife. And so he said this publicly, and this is viewed, I, I, again, I find it amazing, but this is viewed as like a, you know, as like a controversial stance. Now, I get it. He's going to run for New York City mayor, and there's a very large Jewish community, Orthodox Jewish community as well, in, in uh, New York City. And so, you know, that might not be his constituency because the, the hardcore Orthodox ones, it's, it's 
part of the culture and there's a ritual around it. And, you know, there's actually really, it's, it's kind of sketchy if you want to know the truth, because there's plenty of examples of, like, I believe the rabbi, so they cut off the tip of the baby dick, the circumcision, and then the rabbi, in some traditions, the, the real fundamentalists, the real Orthodox Jews, the rabbi will suck the tip of the baby dick off. And there have been instances, there's every year, some babies die from this procedure because some of the rabbis have given the babies herpes and the babies have passed away. I think it's like at least a dozen every year, at least a dozen babies die every year from circumcision and from the ritual around it. I'm all in favor of religious freedom, but am I going to judge that? Oh, you bet your ass I'm going to judge that. Do I think that individual freedom and civil liberties and personal sovereignty override religious freedom? Yes. Does the, the person who's doing the circumcision have a right to suck the tip of the baby dick? No. Would I ban that today? Yes. And if you disagree with that, you can scream anti-Semitism all you want, but that is honestly the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's not anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Semitic to say you're against sucking the tips of baby dicks. Go ahead, make the argument. <laughs> and let me, let me know how that goes for you. Let me know what every response to you is like when people are calling you the biggest idiot and dipshit on the planet. So anyway, Andrew Yang saw um, or, or was told, hey, here are the arguments in favor of it, but here are the arguments against it. Maybe you should consider this. And his mind was changed. You want to know who else has the same position as Andrew Yang? I do. I have the same position as Andrew Yang. You want to know why? Because I think all the arguments in favor of circumcision are bullshit. I don't think they're solid arguments. I don't think they're good arguments. I think, first of all, the bar to make the argument that genital mutilation um, is okay, that bar should be really freaking high. I'm, I want to genitally mutilate a baby. Oh, shit, you better have some really solid reasoning on this one, son. And the arguments just aren't good enough, man. There's the religious tr argument, the cultural tradition argument, the argument. This is a real interesting rationalization that they've used. Oh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's about cleanliness. And so you, you, you have a lower STD rate or something if, when you have circumcision. The numbers on that are negligible. And also, is that really a justification to generally mutilate babies that maybe, maybe not down the road there's hygienic reasons, it just seems like an obvious rationalization to me, okay? So listen, I'm circumcised. I know the, I think the majority of the men in the country are circumcised, but I think that it's, uh, I don't think that my parents made the right decision. I don't think anybody makes the right decision if they want their kids to be, um, they want their little boys to be circumcised. But anyway, I digress. So Andrew Yang has this position, and now he's getting shit, and he's going to be called anti-Semitic if he hasn't already been called anti-Semitic. And this is viewed as like a deal breaker with the, with the Orthodox community in terms of whether or not they support Andrew Yang. I find this amazing. And here's the main point, guys. If they don't like you, if the establishment doesn't like you, they're going to find something. There's going to be hit pieces on top of hit pieces on top of hit pieces. They're going to find something to hit you with. And they'll make a scandal where there is no scandal. Like, Andrew Yang's position is, I don't think it's a good idea to genitally mutilate babies. 
and I was convinced to not genitally mutilate my own babies. And they're like, oh, my God, look at this guy. Look at this guy. And the other point is, like, think about how powerful cultural brainwashing really is, where we've all been sort of convinced, like, what do you mean? We genitally mutilate a majority of our baby boys. That's what we do. And it's viewed as like, well, duh. Obviously, we genitally mutilate our baby boys. Why wouldn't we? And it's like, wow. So we like to think of ourselves in today's day and age like, we're not, you know, we're not savage anymore. We're not barbaric anymore. We've evolved from our old, more primitive state. And it's like, no, in some ways, we're just as primitive as we've always been, you know. And we hold on to relics of the past far too long. And um, this is an example of Andrew Yang being ahead of everybody. By the way, in the same way he, he was ahead of everybody when it came to drugs, his position on drugs was to the left of Bernie Sanders. His position on drugs, if I remember correctly, was uh, not only would I legalize marijuana, I believe he said decriminalize all drugs, which is the correct position. He's taking a principal position of like, I don't think the government really has the right to tell you what you can and can't put in your body regardless of the consequences. Again, ahead of everybody on that stuff. But they're always going to find something. They're always going to smear you with something. And Andrew is also, he's not like me in that he'll take a flamethrower to the establishment and he's just like, burn it all down. He's actually much more measured and reasonable and like willing to talk to people in the belly of the beast and still maintain an outsider perspective, but willing to play the game a little bit more than somebody like me is willing to play the game. And even he having played the game, is still going to be the victim of vicious attacks. So anyway, he's going to run for mayor of New York City, I believe. That's what all the chatter is, and there's evidence and reason to believe he's going to do that. Um, And, you know, as per usual, in so many ways, he's an interesting candidate who has good ideas. And so I'm very curious to see what his campaign is going to be run on, like what's the main thing he's going to focus on. Is it going to be a UBI, a version of UBI for New York City specifically? That would be pretty cool. Um, but either way, I'm team Andrew Yang when it comes to the circumcision thing, man. And I think it's like, I'm amazed at how easy it is to convince people that something as extreme as genitally mutilating babies is cool. (laughs) And by the way, I'm not saying it's like equally as bad as female genital mutilation, because apparently that is, um, I think that that's even more painful. Like I've been circumcised. Am I traumatized from it? Do I have like vivid memories of it? No, not really. You know, like, so, but apparently with women and female genital mutilation, it's different. And it takes away completely sexual pleasure, whereas there's just, just a reduction in male sexual pleasure with circumcision. It's amazing that we have to ship. But anyway, I'm not saying it's equal, but I'm saying I am against both. I don't think that uh, they're good, but it's funny how powerful propaganda can be and culture and tradition can be where Andrew Yang says something incredibly reasonable and is viewed as controversial. Okay. Okay. Dave Rubin. We're going to make fun of Dave Rubin, my favorite pastime.
Let's make fun of Dave Rubin. Let's make fun of Dave Rubin. I enjoy making fun of Dave Rubin. Give me a little bit of red behind me, a little bit of red lighting. Ain't nothing wrong with that, baby. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Here we go. Dave Rubin went on uh, Eric Bowling's show. This is interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, for one thing, I didn't know Eric Bowling had a show. I did not know Eric Bowling had a show. I didn't know he was still, you know, in the political commentary game, if you will. And um, Dave vomited up some sort of sad excuse for political commentary. Take a look. I'd like to bring in host of the Rubin Report, Dave Rubin. Dave, thank you for being here, boy. Uh, you know, I just uh, delivered that monologue on what do we have in store for for the next two or who knows how many years of socialism creeping into America? Yeah, well, I certainly wish we weren't at this point, but uh, when I tell people I told you so, yeah, I told you so. I, you know, I'm, I was sort of put on the map as the why I left the left guy, because I was a progressive. I was a Bernie supporter, and a lot of people know about my evolution and, and my political awakening. But what I was warning about, you know, five, six years ago, about how every single political and cultural norm was going to be put on the chopping block by these new progressives and, and the Marxists and these big government Democrats. Well, it's all sort of come here. And I don't think that there's going to be much to stop them at this point. And I think a lot of people, I really sense this from, say, the last few remaining good liberals. And by good liberal, I mean sort of the blue dog Democrats that used to exist, the moderate Democrat, the, the JFK liberal that, that used to exist. I think a lot of them are really regretting things right now because, you know, they, they really didn't want to support Trump because orange man bad, but he was keeping the wheels on the American system. And I think what we have in store now is going to be some massive government stuff that, that everything, as I said, every norm from amen to a woman to gendered language at school to Black Lives Matter being taught in grade school and everything else, everything is going to be on the table. Without a doubt, the dumbest political commentator in the game today, and I don't even think it's close. I mean, just stunningly stupid in so many ways. So, uh, first of all, praising the blue dogs and acting, they're the reasonable, the moderate Democrats, the blue dog Democrats, the old school Democrats, they're the reasonable ones. Well then, Dave, you must love a guy by the name of Joe Biden, don't you? He's basically a moderate Republican. And that's not me speaking, that's Joe Biden's voting record speaking. This isn't the opinion of Kyle Kalinske. This is Joe Biden's long track record, okay? I'll tell you, the Patriot Act, he was with the Republicans. NAFTA, he was with the Republicans. And, it, you know, Dave likes to act like he's a free market guy. Okay, well, there you go. Free trade, that's right up your alley, right? You know, the list goes on and on. Iraq War, he was with the Republicans. Uh, he is a moderate Republican. He's basically like a blue dog. But he tries to make the argument that Joe Biden is extreme and Joe Biden is beyond the pale and Joe Biden is crazy while also praising the exact kind of Democrat that Joe Biden is. That makes no sense, Dave. You should love Joe Biden. You should appreciate Joe Biden. The other thing he does, which is gross, is that, so he like conflates. His, his go-to is like, I'm going to bash the social justice warriors. But what he likes doing now is conflating 
the social justice warrior stuff, like the petty authoritarian positions on social issues, he likes conflating that with, and I quote, big government stuff. I think what's going to happen now is bad. It's going to be a lot of big government stuff. Like what? Care to elaborate? Care to elaborate on what you think is going to happen? I, unfortunately, the sad reality is there's going to be no big government stuff. I wish that he was going to take on, like, do some big, bold, universal programs that would help the American people. He's not going to do that. But Dave praises JFK, the old school liberals like JFK. JFK was in favor of universal health care, Medicare for all, single payer. We played the video for you on this show. And so how do you praise JFK while simultaneously saying, the big government stuff is going to be so bad? No, that stuff is good. Every other developed country has better big government stuff. They have universal health care. They have free college, for example. This is especially at a time with an economic downturn, you want the government to pick up the slack. This is Keynesianism 101. You know, if the government doesn't step in and fill the void, fill the vacuum, well, then you exacerbate the crisis and turn a recession into a depression or a depression into an even worse depression. He just, he just doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. His whole thing. I was the guy who was on the left, who then left the left. That's how I got put on the map. Me, bro, you know, what we need is the sane people to step up. What do you, like, tell me what constitutes sane versus insane. What's acceptable versus not acceptable. What do you view as left versus what do you view as right? He's just like a jumbled mess of labels he doesn't understand, and it's all emoting. Uh, Democrats bad, big government bad, Biden bad, but blue dogs are good, moderate Democrats are good. That's Joe Biden! Joe Biden is a moderate Democrat. Joe Biden is basically a blue dog. Joe Biden's entire record is the kind of record that you claim that you would like. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of when um, Dave Rubin did an interview with David Pakman, and David Pakman was inquiring what health care position Dave Rubin has and like what he views as the ideal system. And he shoved his foot directly in his mouth and embarrassed himself in a way. I'm not sure I've seen anybody embarrass themselves since. He, you know, he basically described Obamacare and acted like that's his preferred system and then goes on to slam Obamacare. I don't know how anybody takes this guy seriously. He doesn't know anything about policy. He knows nothing about policy. You can't praise blue dogs and praise moderate Democrats and then slam Joe Biden because that's the exact kind of Democrat you just praised. nothing he says makes sense. He's just a child. And what was the thing he said about Trump there? Oh, Trump kept the wheels on the system. Trump kept the wheels on the system. Imagine believing that. Imagine believing that. All Trump did, Trump was George W. Bush on steroids plus mean tweets. That's all Donald Trump is. No decorum, no civility, mean tweets all day long, totally unhinged and unfiltered but also just governing like George W. Bush 95% of the time. And that's what kept the wheels on the system. More corporate tax cuts, more tax cuts for the wealthy, more deregulation. That's what kept the wheels on the system. There was just an attempted insurrection. There was a diet coup that he spoke out of both sides of his mouth on and was sort of cheering it on while also condemning it. Does that seem like a stable person who's, quote, keeping the wheels on the system? 
Dave Rubin. I don't even know what else to say. The guy's a joke. The guy's a clown. Rest in peace, Michael Brooks. We're trying to pick up the slack where we know he would be dunking on this clip relentlessly. So in Michael's honor, God, Dave Rubin is stupid. Okay. All right, here we go, guys. Next. Let's, now we've got to go after Biden. So um, business as usual, which also happens to be grotesquely corrupt, uh, is still going on behind the scenes. This is uh, what we learned with the Biden team recently. Biden Pentagon pick could make up to $1.7 million from leaving Raytheon. Make $1.7 million from leaving Raytheon. That seems like a problem to me. What do you think about that? So, of course, they're referring to General Lloyd Austin. Um, sits on the board or whatever it is. And here's, I just want to read you this one part from the article, which I think says quite a bit. Quote, it is not uncommon for defense secretaries to have ties to contractors. Not uncommon for that. Three of the people who led the Pentagon in the Trump administration had defense contractor connections. Former Secretary James Mattis was on the board at General Dynamics. Former Secretary Mark Esper was Raytheon's top lobbyist. I remember that, and I remember covering that. And former Acting Secretary Patrick Shanahan was an executive at Boeing. So in other words, this is how it works. They go directly to the defense contractors to get people who end up controlling our foreign policy, shaping our foreign policy, leading when it comes to our foreign policy. I don't know how this alone isn't a gigantic scandal. This is as dirty as it gets, as corrupt as it gets. I mean, these are bribes. That's what they are. $1.7 million from Raytheon, and then he's going to be in a position where he makes foreign policy decisions. Guess what, guys? I'll go out on a limb here and guess that he's going to be in favor of more money to Raytheon, more support for Raytheon, and more war so they can keep the business cycle going and keep business as usual going. Could you imagine, if you take $1.7 million from Raytheon, is it likely that when you have a position of power, now all of a sudden he's going to be in favor of ending all the wars? Ending all the wars and no more contracts going to these so-called defense contractors, which are really offense contractors. What are the chances he's going to say that? Zero. Zero percent chance that he says that. Zero percent chance any of the people that Trump picked said that. And they didn't say that because they also were being paid by the defense industry. This is also something that happens with the media, by the way. They bring on like foreign policy experts and they don't disclose that these people are paid by Raytheon, Boeing, Honeywell, you know, all the different defense contractors. And then lo and behold, they end up advocating either for hard power boots on the ground, or soft power, like drone strikes. So funny, the, the spectrum of debate that's allowed is, are you in favor of boots on the ground, hardcore imperialism, or are you in favor of soft power, like drone strikes? 
that's the spectrum of debate that's allowed. You don't hear anybody advocate for, let's not do the drone strikes and let's get out of there. Nobody argues for that. This is what's called the Overton window, and it's shifted in a pro-war, neoconservative direction on foreign policy, and it's been like that for decades. And this is one of the reasons why. Because people who are in positions of power are corrupted, paid by the defense industry. People who are on TV to talk about this stuff are corrupted. They're paid by the defense industry. And then you're surprised when there's consensus. And this is so disconnected from the reality of the world and the polling. The polling is stunning on this stuff. It's absolutely stunning. The polling, you know, first of all, they don't poll it nearly enough. Like, they need to poll it way more than they currently poll it. But it's 20% or less support for all these different wars that we're in, respectively whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan, you name it, 20% or less for all of them. And we're supposed to be a constitutional republic and a representative democracy. That's what we're supposed to be. The people are just ignored, even on matters of life and death, even on matters of war. These people will casually send your kid to go fight and die in a country for a fight that makes no sense. And you want to get out and they don't, they brush it off. They don't listen to you. They act like it's not even true. And then they do the faux patriotism thing as well, which is a huge problem. The whole, like, support our troops. But when they say support our troops, what they mean is shut your brain off and don't question our foreign policy. Fall in line. Do the bidding of the corrupted leaders, who are imperialists, and take it. And if you question our foreign policy, they malign that and smear that as, Oh, you don't love the troops. You don't respect the troops. No, I think there's no better way to love the troops and respect the troops than to make sure they're only used when necessary. The only time I'm okay with violence is to protect from imminent attack against us, against the country. Self-defense. That's the only standard that makes sense to me. But what we do now is not bad at all, not even close to that. Not even close to that. Post-World War II... How many times would we have used our military if we had that standard? You tell me. I don't know. I'm asking. We would have fought World War II because Hitler was a genuine threat, and then what? Wouldn't have done Vietnam. Wouldn't have done Iraq or Afghanistan. And by the way, that's a lot of money that we could then use to rebuild our infrastructure, do a new New Deal. I don't understand why this isn't a huge issue where politicians argue, not only do I want to do a new New Deal, I want the United States of America to have the number one infrastructure in the world. I want to have an A-plus infrastructure, A-plus-plus infrastructure, where it, it becomes the rest of the world is jealous. They look at us. They look up to us in terms of how advanced and modern our infrastructure is. That's what I want to do. And we could do that if we stopped waging endless wars for no good reason. Business as usual. And it's, it's the saddest thing in the world that all the people who are Democrats who correctly criticize Trump for picking General Dynamics, Raytheon, lobbyists, executives to be in this position for Secretary of Defense, they criticize that and they were correct to criticize that. Now it's going to be mums the word when it comes to Lloyd Austin and vice versa. So the Republicans were cool with Trump picking these people and now Biden does it. They might bring this up and say, oh, this is unacceptable. It's a conflict of interest. For the love of God, you need to look at these things in a principled way and be objective about it and be fair-minded about it. Don't just play partisan politics. 
but this is a never-ending cycle of corruption, and it's terrible. It needs to be called out. It needs to be stopped. We need to imagine a future that has better politics than this. Open bribery, open corruption, leading to endless war. That's pretty much as evil as it gets. Okay, baby. Okay. Let's do a few more for you. Tightening my uh, my microphone. There we go. So this story surprised me a little bit, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Germany's Merkel hits out at Twitter over problematic Trump ban. German Chancellor Angela Merkel finds Twitter's decision to ban President Donald Trump's account problematic, her spokesperson said. Twitter permanently suspended Trump's account on Friday following outcry over a riot on Capitol Hill. The move has drawn criticism from other political figures in Europe, including EU Commissioner Thierry Breton. Breton? So um, here's the key quote that I think is most important. The right to freedom of opinion is of fundamental importance, is of fundamental importance. So, when Angela Merkel looked at what happened, her takeaway was similar to my takeaway, which was Trump is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. So, did Trump create the environment wherein this attempted insurrection, this diet coup, this riot could happen? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. With his nonstop fear-mongering, stop the steal, and fraudulent election, and rigged election, all that's untrue. Trump is either lying or he himself is now totally brainwashed and delusional about it. But all of it is untrue. He repeated it over and over and over and riled people up, and that did help lead to what happened. But was it, a, was it a direct threat of violence, and was it incitement from Trump? That, I don't think you can make a case on that. Because he didn't say, fraudulent election, rigged election, and now I want you to storm the Capitol and do violence and go after our Congress people. No, he didn't say that. When it was clear that that's what was happening, he went public and spoke out of both sides of his mouth. And he was calling, peace, don't... Don't hurt our law, enforcer, uh, our law enforcement. We love our boys in blue. We love our law enforcement. It's amazing. Let's be peaceful. But also, there's a totally fraudulent election, and they can't get away with it. So again, cl- the spirit of what he's saying is clear. It is nudging these people along. But literally what he says, if you read it out, if you quote it on paper and read it back, no, he gave himself enough wiggle room to cover his butt, especially the next day when he gave that speech, totally throwing his supporters under the bus. And a lot of his supporters were pissed at him over that because he really did. And, and there's reporting that he then started blaming Antifa a few days later. That wasn't even my people. That was Antifa. I know that was Antifa. It had to be Antifa. My people don't act like that. So, yes, he spoke out of both sides of his mouth on the day, and then he turned on his own people. Okay? That is not the same as doing direct threats of violence or inciting violence. If Trump did directly incite violence, then yes, that's also against the law. It's not just like against Twitter terms of service or any rules regarding free speech. That's against the law. You can't do direct threats of violence. You can't incite violence. And that's correctly against the law. It's one of the few exceptions to freedom of speech. But according to German Chancellor Angela Merkel, and this is exactly how I viewed it too, so this reminded me I'm not crazy, he gave himself enough wiggle room where it wasn't really what people are saying it is. Now, do I think there should be no consequences? Of course not. I think there should be consequences. I think they should invoke the 14th Amendment because Trump gave aid and comfort to people doing an insurrection or rebellion. That's like word for word what it says there, that that's not okay. 
So you can ban him from ever holding public office again with a simple majority. That's what they should do. Do I support the Internet death penalty? No, I'm more in agreement with uh, Angela Merkel on this, where she's saying, you could pretend all you want, like this isn't a violation of free expression. It is. And Facebook even went a step further where they are banning everybody from using stop the steal phrase in a positive context. So if you say it as in like you're advocating it or you believe in it, they're going to ban you. You can bring it up to mock it. You can't bring it up to agree with it. That's very clearly cracking down on free expression and free speech. I get it. It's not literally a First Amendment issue because it doesn't involve the law. It involves private companies. But it is a debate about the principle of free expression and free speech. And there's no denying that. That is what it is. It's about the principle of free expression and free speech. And I think you should treat these companies like public utilities and expand protections to the new public square. So I think Angela Merkel's right. Um, There should be consequences for Trump. But I think not only is this a slippery slope, we're already halfway down the slippery slope because we've already seen lefties banned as well with same kind of BS rationalizations. So, again, careful what you wish for. And it appears like German Chancellor Angela Merkel understands American values a lot more than a lot of Americans. Okay. All right, let me do one or two more for y'all. One or two more for y'all, baby. One or two more for y'all, baby. Let's talk about the new COVID strain, which should scare the shit out of you. This really should scare the shit out of you, by the way. All right, so if you're not sufficiently scared by COVID, and it seems like everybody's getting a little bit lazy about COVID and kind of let their guard down a little bit, the numbers are higher than they've ever been. We're talking 4,000 deaths a day in the United States of America. But now we have this new strain, and the new strain spreads more easily. It's not more deadly, but it spreads more easily, which actually does mean it is more deadly in the aggregate. Um, Look at this. This is unbelievable. Eric Topol says, if you want to see what happens when B117 becomes the dominant strain of COVID, you can look at Ireland, now the highest new cases per capita globally. Look at that. Look at that chart, y'all. This thing is a real problem. It's a real problem. Um, The good news is the vaccine still works against this one. The bad news is our vaccine rollout is the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life. We have the ability and the scientific knowledge to create a vaccine in record time, but we don't have the political stability to distribute it effectively. So damning. It's such an indictment on the way our system functions, on on the way our system works, and on everybody who's in charge, and on everybody who plays a, a part in this. Really, really incredible stuff, man. So you gotta get the vaccines out. I know they had very, like, epidemiologists came up with all, you know, this process, and here's the people who get it, essential workers, and it's, you know, it's essential workers, and it's older people, and it's people with the preexisting conditions and the weakened immune systems. They get it first, but 
the rollout has been so abysmally slow that some of the vaccines are going bad. It needs to be stored at like negative 77 degrees Fahrenheit. A lot of the vaccines are going bad. So listen, I've, I said this on the show the other day. I'm going to say it again now. If the choice is vaccinate somebody or vaccinate nobody, I'm always going to go with vaccinate somebody. So I'm of the belief now that you should have the federal government, the state government, the local governments, and the private hospitals. You should open up all these sites for vaccination and say, first come, first serve. And that's the way we can get the most people vaccinated in the shortest amount of time. That's what I think they should do. And does that mean there are going to be some older people who maybe don't get it, but younger people who do get it? Yes. But again, if the choice is nobody gets a vaccine or somebody does, you've got to go with somebody. So that's how I think they should do it. Um, but these numbers are terrifying. We've got to get a move on, man. It's amazing we have the vaccine, but we're struggling to vaccinate people. We got to defeat this crisis. Now we have the solution and we're dragging our feet. Okay. All right, final story of the day, everybody. Final story of the day. So we are looking at an unprecedented situation where Republicans are considering throwing Trump under the bus because he's a giant loser now. So the aura of invincibility is gone and corporate money is flowing out of the Republican Party at a thousand miles an hour. So they want to stop the bleeding. They might throw him under the bus, but there's a problem. Look at this. So the Meet the Press tweet says, Watch Representative Jason Crow says majority of GOP paralyzed with fear. Quote, I had a lot of conversations with my Republican colleagues. A couple of them broke down in tears, saying that they are afraid for their lives if they vote for this impeachment. Tim Alberta says, Crow is right. Numerous House Republicans have received death threats in the past week, and I know for a fact several members want to impeach, but fear casting that vote could get them or their families murdered. Not spinning or covering for anyone, just stating the chilling reality. So Trump's most ardent supporters... Some of them are threatening to murder Republicans if they vote for the impeachment. Wow. Wow. I mean, there is a point to be made here about, you know, reaping, sowing, so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. You lost control of the monster that you guys built. There's definitely a point in there. But, of course, everybody should condemn unequivocally any sort of death threats, any, any sort of direct threats of violence. And, by the way, that is actually illegal. Direct threats of violence are illegal, and anybody who's doing it should be prosecuted, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, this would be one of the reasons why they might not actually go after Trump, is because they genuinely fear what would happen if they do. You know, again, there are a number of reasons to go after him. Now he's an electoral liability, and they want to get past that. They don't want him to run again in 2024. So this would be a way to prevent him from running again in 2024. Corporate money is flowing out of the Republican Party at 1,000 miles an hour, and they want to protect that money. And also the dogs have been turned on them. So they felt like they were stabbed in the back, so maybe they'll stab him right back. But they don't want to piss off their own base, the Republican base. And also, if they genuinely fear for their lives, what what I'm always amazed by is, I mean, this is immoral and unethical, period. But 
these are rebels. They're not rebels without a cause. They're rebels with a cause that's insanely stupid. Imagine being a revolutionary for Donald Trump. You're in favor of a revolution for more corporate tax cuts and deregulation. They just like something about him where it's like the unfiltered element. So they feel like he's fighting for them even though he's not fighting for them. They feel like he's taking it to the establishment even though he's not. He props up the establishment. But this is, this is where we're at now, where Republicans are having their lives threatened. It's really something else. Okay, y'all. We are done for the day, baby. And um, really looking forward. I'm going to tell you guys now, really looking forward to um, what we have coming up on Crystal, Kyle, and Friends this week. We are going to talk to the one, the only, Thomas Frank. You are not going to want to miss this. You are not going to want to miss this. Thomas Frank is a national treasure. He's written some amazing books, so it'll be an incredibly substantive conversation. Anyway, love you guys very much, and I'll talk to you soon. Everybody have the great rest of the day. Peace.